from Alaska Public Media, this is State of Art. Welcome to the Weekend and to State of Art, your weekly dose of Anchorage Arts and Culture. I'm Ammon Swenson. Before I came to the green pastures of public radio, I spent the better part of a decade working at the Beartooth Grill. That's where I first met my guest, Steph Johnson. She spent 20 years with the company, eventually managing the grill and theater pub. These days, she's working as a consultant, helping other restaurants find their way. Originally from a small mountain town in Colorado, she came up here to try something new. As soon as I got to Anchorage, I did the classic, you know, this is going to sound like I walked uphill both ways to school, but I I moved up here with like $200 to my name and spent... um, most of that on a fair to get up here. So immediately, I had a place to live. I had a friend who was here, but immediately I needed jobs, plural. So I got off the plane. A friend of mine was working at the Middleway at the time. I walked to the Middleway. He said, this is what you do, handed me the Anchorage Press. So like right immediately coming into town, first stop, Middleway, next Anchorage Press, start looking through the want ads. Also in a very like, that's so Anchorage moment later (laughs) that night, they took me to the Moose's Tooth, and then there was a little head shop on Spinard called the Indica House, and they had, I think it was Nervous Rex was playing there. It was like such a like early 2000s Anchorage scene, but the, one of the first ads that I saw in the paper was for the Beartooth, and they were opening a new restaurant. It was the Beartooth Grill. So the theater pub had been open, but they were opening their new restaurant, and I had just always wanted to work in restaurants. So this was like, this was my big opportunity. You know, just I was shedding past layers and trying on new things. And so why not? So I, I'm, I'm grateful for my timing there because it, it was really something to see something from beginning to, to 20 years later. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of like, you know, fortuitous that it just happened like mm-hmm. that when you needed it. You were probably more like, oh, man, I need this job, not... <laughs> This is going to be, you know, my career and yeah. like being able to kind of shift your responsibilities, take on more, learn mm-hmm. a ton, probably influence. I don't know how many like hundreds of employees probably that came in under you. Let's talk about your role as a restaurant consultant. Mm-hmm. So you've talked about it's kind of evolving and I'm sure depending on the client, they can have various needs and stuff like that. But I thought you summed it up nicely when you said, you know, it's mostly helping with the unsexy side. Mm-hmm. Of the restaurant business. So, you know, what what do some of those things look like that you would maybe be directing, helping a client kind of navigate? Most people who get into the restaurant world, especially smaller restaurants, they're coming with either a passion for people, a passion for food, or both. And we're always going to go towards the path of least resistance at work. So the thing that I'm good at and the thing that drew me to this place and the thing that arguably like I'm I need to show up with the most is going to be serving people or making food. So I think we can generally feel pretty safe that those things are going to get taken care of for the most part in any restaurant. Behind all that stuff is a lot of, like I said, very unsexy things to worry about. It can be clarity in the workplace. Is everyone's job spelled out enough that they can be empowered to do them and have clarity around where their job, where theirs ends and someone else's begins so there's not conflict where people are stepping over each other? It can also be really unfun stuff like inventory management. You know, there's restaurants require a lot of money. They are definitely not the easiest way to get rich fast, you know, and, and the amount of things that you have to purchase to make a plate of food is is pretty surprising. 
And as soon as you buy that thing, that's the freshest it's ever going to be. So managing your inventory in a way where you haven't tied up all of your money in inventory, mm-hmm. it's important. That being, you know, the, the flip side of that is if you're buying things in such small quantities that you're missing the ability to scale and save money on orders, that's also a problem. So there's lots of different ways and places and spaces that they're important things, but they're not the most important thing on any given Friday night. So it's, totally. it's all the fallout stuff that most people who open a restaurant, because there are so many hurdles that you're going to have to go through to even get the place open, we're talking about really smart, really compassionate, very driven people. Like there's something that brought them to that. It's not an easy thing to do. So what I like to help with is I don't come in assuming that I have all of the answers and I can do the things and, oh, you just, you know, you're not smart enough to figure it out. My assumption is that People do know enough to know where their weaknesses are, but they need help getting that job done so that they can focus on the things that really brought them to the place in the in in the first place. So cooking or people. So I just want to help free people up from the things that become too big to just really dive into when the ticket printer is printing, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. From your perspective, what is an optimal dining experience, you know, regardless of whether it's, you know, fine dining or just kind of a turn and burn establishment? Sure. I think there's like three main factors to, to any good restaurant or any good eating establishment. It could be a snack bar. It's the service, it's the food, and then it's the way it feels. Ambiance doesn't need to be this thing that's like, highly orchestrated and it doesn't need to be beautiful, but it needs to speak to who you are and the type of vibe you're trying to put across. So to me, an optimal experience would be a place where the people behind the business, I can kind of understand and see and feel who they are. Just by being there. Just by being there. Yeah. And that might be it might be the intensity of the lighting. It might be the way their menus laid out. It just these little passive ways that people can speak to who they are in this setting. So it's it's not beating you over the head with anything. It's a little bit quieter. So I want to be able to kind of understand who the people are that are behind the business without it being the, the, the main course, so to speak. We caught up before this interview and we talked about how when a restaurant is doing its job well, the customer probably isn't even going to be aware of the million decisions or steps it took to get to that hot plate of food. Could you maybe just kind of give a little bit more of an idea about just how many things have to go right just for bare bones, satisfactory dining out experience? Oof. I think that is the kind of part of the magic of restaurants. Man, the amount of people behind making all of that happen and all of the little decisions and all of them happening at the right time, it's unbelievable. So I think the first thing that has to go right is people are kind of already deciding how good the food tastes subconsciously with how easy it was to find parking. Mm. And the biggest one that I will always say is that the number one thing that determines whether a plate was good or not is whether they were said hello to in a warm fashion when they walked in the door, Mm. right? So your host actually has such a huge impact on the food. If we're starting to feel a little bit off or a little bit unwelcome or, heaven forbid, a little bit hangry, you are really like we've got a lot to overcome by the time that food gets to your plate. So that to me is the start of a great plate of food. Service in general, I think, is a huge negotiation of who is this stranger? What do they want? And what can I bring to this unspoken dance that they're going to appreciate? 
So servers have a really big, big job here to kind of evaluate and assess who the table is. And when there are more and more people at the table, that gets a little bit more complex, right? Mm -hmm. And then the food is like, it's the main, the main event, right? So, but if we haven't done any of those other things right before the food shows up, that cook has got a really tall order. That yeah. better be the best tasting food in the world. And it still may not taste great. You know? Totally. Well, and that's like all this stuff is not even to say for like even just supply chain logistics mm -hmm. of keeping a restaurant going yeah. or like. Or like the worst thing in the world is the ticket printer jams or stops working. Like it's a piece of technology. It's a printer. It's one of the, the simplest pieces of technology. But that thing goes down and like, oh, man. You might just affect the next hour and a half <laughs> in the restaurant. Yeah. So there are all of these little things that you don't even think of that they all need to be working and they all need to be happening correctly. And mostly things that a customer doesn't really want to hear about that's not right. functioning. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the yeah. printer's not working. Yeah. That means nothing to yeah, me. Yeah, go fix your printer, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like no one no one wants to hear about a bad printer. <laughs> yeah. What's the difference between, you know, having a fantastic menu versus having a tightly run mm -hmm. ship and I mean can can a fantastic menu make up for a, a, you know, maybe looser service and can maybe a tightly run ship maybe make up for less uh, fantastic menu? There's there's room in there. You know, I think it's it's a Venn diagram, right? And you want some of the things to overlap in some ways. But I think, you know, when you say a fantastic menu, what I envision is I kind of compare it to art. You know, a lot of chefs are really, really creative people. But how you take an idea for a plate that you thought of in your quiet, climate-controlled moment, wherever you created this idea for a dish, that dish, that recipe, has to be able to like go through war to get itself onto the table. So yeah, anyone can make a great dish when there isn't a timer going and when there isn't 50 other dishes that need to be made at the same time and potentially 12 other people that are helping you do it. Yeah. So it really has to go through the ringer of logistics and how is the translation process? How does this beautiful piece of artwork translate into the real world? And sometimes they don't. It's not a Friday night dish or it's not a Friday night dish in this restaurant, right? So yeah. the, the type of restaurant matters too. So I think that the fantastic menu versus a, a tightly run ship, hands down, I will take a tightly run ship no matter what is on the menu any day. Because that that's really what gets the same food on the table as much as possible, despite all of these crazy amount of variables that are constantly being thrown at a cook. You've been in this industry for a long time, still mm -hmm. continuing in a different fashion. But, I mean, what's kept you in it? What do you enjoy most about it? Why are you continuing this path, working with restaurants and stuff like that? I love it. I just, you know, I like sometimes I get, like, emotional even thinking about, like, how special it is, what happens in a dining room, you know. And the restaurant's ability to reflect the culture of the people of that city is so big. I, that's my favorite part of traveling is eating out, you know. It's just go and see, like, where do people go and what what – how does this represent this quadrant of this city? And so I do think a, a bit of it is a lifelong passion. I really like helping people. I think there's something that is so quietly beautiful and humble about a restaurant. If we're doing our job right, you don't know that we're there and you don't know the millions of decisions that we put into it. And there's something that I just, I love about that. I grew up playing the harp and it, it's like a performance. When you sit down and listen to someone play a 10 minute piece, what you don't know is the eight months that it took for them to perfect that piece and how many times they've replaced a string on their instrument, all of these little things that went into it. For any place that I'm working that in the same fashion that, that when you come in, 
you can be taken to whatever place it is that you want to go to. Just like with, with music or arts, it's in the experience of the receivers. Anything else you think that maybe just either about, you know, restaurant industry in Anchorage or just kind of more about kind of what you do? There is one little like challenge that I'd like to throw out there to Anchorage. And that would be whatever your budget is, whether it's eating out once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, I would challenge people to go to a new place at least once a month, if, if you eat out at all, and to try to really dive into the incredible amount of diversity of restaurants that we have in this city. They're out there doing really hard work, and there are amazing people telling all kinds of great stories through food all throughout the Anchorage Bowl. That was my conversation with restaurant consultant Steph Johnson. You can get in touch with her at katabaticconsulting at gmail.com. That's K-A-T-A-B-A-T-I-C. And that's all the time we have for you today. For links and other content, you can head to the State of Art page on alaskapublic.org. I'm Ammon Swenson. Thanks for listening. State of Art is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. The views expressed are those of the hosts and participants and do not reflect KSKA or its underwriters. Theme music is Spring Breakup by Termination Dust. Get in touch with the host by sending an email to soa at alaskapublic.org.